This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. Last week we looked at the brand new radio network Today FM and its bold promises of a new and better approach. But some of what we've heard sounded like the same old stuff that we've heard before on Talkback. Oh, you haven't had the jab. No, no, but does that sound right to you that I have to get a jab to get a pay rise? Doesn't does sound right cost? to me. No, no. This week we asked the network's boss, is he really upgrading talk radio? And what's its future on the air anyway in the age of rage online? Also this week, our media joined forces last year to try and force the titans of tech, Google and Facebook, to pay them for the news that they've carried online for years for free. But now one publisher is undercutting that collective effort. Why? But before all that, we look at the escalation of the online abuse of politicians and how that hit the headlines this past week. Just hours ago, two young Nats resigned from the National Party. Why is that significant? Well, one of them has admitted being the anonymous online troll harassing female politicians. Our next guest is one of the women who'd had enough of the abuse and she decided to track down her troll. That was Nadine Chalmers-Ross introducing the project on TV Channel 3 last Thursday and Sarah Templeton, a local councillor in Christchurch who succeeded in unmasking her anonymous online abuser. Though it turned out she wasn't the only left-leaning female politician in that city copping abuse from that same guy. Misogynistic trolls who targeted Labour MPs Megan Woods and Sarah Pallett and Christchurch councillor Sarah Templeton are now in the crosshairs of the law. Sarah had had a gutsful. So, using the harmful Digital Communications Act and with help from NetSafe, she got a district court to investigate. And interestingly, Sarah Templeton told stuff earlier in the week that it was when she first aired her problems in their pages last year that the trolling stopped in the first instance. The only way to protect my reputation at that point, um, when they were making up lies I couldn't defend, um, was to go public. Um, which is when the article came out last year. And on the day that the article came out, they disabled their accounts, um, which was good. So it means they weren't doing it anymore. But it was only Sarah Templeton's persistence and the media then following up on that, which exposed the culprit finally this past week. And the court asked Facebook to release the identifying information. Facebook uh, released some information um, that then led to an internet provider who then um, on the 18th of March revealed um, the identity of the Hamish Eggstein um, account. Yeah, so I'm really hoping that um, by addressing this publicly that I can really uh, raise some awareness to the issue. There's a lot of um, abuse and misogyny and misinformation um, in the political discourse at the moment, which is really unhelpful. But I also want to show women that you can go through a process. A lot of people don't know the process is there. Well, the process wasn't quick, but in the end it was effective and hopefully it can be so also for other people in public life who are bearing the brunt of this sort of abuse online, many of them women. Now, on Thursday, Sarah Templeton told the project it was a relief to know just who it was who had been giving her such a hard time. Yeah, really pleased that he's come clean and um, that we can actually start moving on now. The very real name of Jesse McKenzie was dragged out of the online shadows by all this and into the headlines, along with that of his housemate Bryce Beatty, who initially told the media he didn't know what McKenzie was up to online, and since then has decided not to stand in the local elections himself in Christchurch in six months' time. But for that fake online account called Hamish Eggstein, 
Jesse McKenzie even pinched the picture of a 62-year-old who lives in Riverton called Cyril Lawless. I don't like that at all, the startled Southlander told Stuff on Thursday when told about all this. If you're going to give someone a hard time, he said, do it to their face. Nice one, Cyril. And the fact that the two housemates in question were actually young gnats then gave the story extra political legs for the media. And there's a small irony here. Sarah Templeton, a former high school teacher, was also a strong backer of the bid to lower the voting age to boost young people's participation in our politics. Meanwhile, the egg known as Eggstein had also been urging national MPs and candidates to get in touch with him to amplify his attacks, and that cast suspicion on a party that's had dirty politics problems in its not-so-distant past. And it also meant that National's deputy Nicola Willis walked a bit of a fine line when she told ZB's Mike Hosking this on Friday. Given that social media is full of clowns anyway, and then you just sort of have to take the heat because they've got the young gnats next to them, yeah, look, name me a politician and they will tell you that they've had a troll attack them. This is yeah. not something that uh, occurs on one side of politics, it occurs on both sides. However, Nicola Willis was backed up on that by Labour's Megan Woods, another target of Jessie McKenzie, when she spoke to RNZ the same day. But as the editorial in the press and other stuff papers around the country pointed out this weekend, puerile attacks on women in politics are not limited to the young. Nationals MP Michael Woodhouse was well into his 50s, the editorial said, when he displayed a toilet seat with a picture of the former Labour MP Claire Curran on it. And that actually happened at a South Island National Party conference, they could have added. But it's not just a southern thing, and the weekend Dominion Post had stark evidence of that on its front page yesterday, with a story that began like this. Anita Baker had never been called a C dot 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 before being elected mayor of Porirua nearly three years ago. These days, it's hurled at her all the time on social media. Now, that C word was sanitised like that, with dots, for the readers of the online version, but it wasn't in print. And Dom Post editor Anna Fifield spelled out for readers exactly why she spelled it out in full on the front page. You're probably shocked, she said, but imagine you are pelted with that word multiple times a day on your social media and in your inbox. Imagine it's the last thing you see before you go to bed at night and the first thing you read when you wake up. That is what some women politicians have to deal with constantly and menacingly, she wrote. And from the accompanying front page story, it was pretty clear that other local politicians, all of them women, were having the same experience. Earlier in the week, the toxicity of political criticism was also worrying Today FM's host, Lloyd Burr. There is so much vitriol and hate directed at the government at the moment, and even to the opposition as well, and much of it feels like misdirected anger or scapegoating or blame for blame's sake. And as a political report of a TV3 for five years up until 2018, Lloyd Burr reckoned it is much more intense now. Can we all just pull back a little bit um, with that hate and that malice and that vitriol and maybe act a little bit like adults? Anyway, those are my reckonings. Those are my thoughts. What do you think? Where do you stand on this? Am I alone? And he isn't alone in that. Shortly after, fellow Today FM host Tova O'Brien told Lloyd Burr toxicity was definitely on the up because of a hyped-up small minority. And I think the small and sharp group of people who are just the trolls, who are just um, in a frenzy at the minute, and then there's a broader group who are just really fatigued with COVID um, and the government's an easy punching bag. And last weekend's Sunday Star Times, under the headline The Culture of Nastiness, 
Senior political journalist Andrea Vance said insults have replaced arguments in our political debate. And journalists like her know how the politicians feel. Like them, they also work in a competitive environment and they also believe they're working for the good of the people. They both need the trust and support of the public and both are copping more and more wretched abuse and blame from people who've lost the plot these days. Social media is the accelerant of all this, said Andrea Vance, but her main point in the Sunday Star Times was that politicians are now reflecting the online nastiness. And Andrea Vance gave some examples from just the previous week. ACT Party leader David Seymour made what she called a nasty personal attack on microbiologist Susie Wiles. Te Party Māori called the ACT Party MPs bigots, she said, and National Party leader Christopher Luxon characterised the poor as bottom feeders. But the thing is, though, the media love some of this stuff as well. On the most recent TVNZ One News podcast Inside Politics, for example, political editor Jessica Much Mackay hailed the ACT Party leader David Seymour for his political zingers. His one-liners are still sky-high, in my opinion. One yesterday was, you know, it's going to take an eternity to get through um, all of these changes. I loved that line. There was also an analogy um, back to friends saying that um, it was going to take about as long as the debate over whether Ross and Rachel were on a break and there were belly laughs from those reporters of, our, of us that are in our 30s and 40s. Nothing malicious about those gags, obviously, but some of David Seymour's other lines are much more barbed, as Andrea Vance pointed out in her article. Now, in that piece, she also noted that the just-departed-from-politics Simon Bridges has written movingly in the past about how mockery of his Kiwi accent affected him badly. And on Tover O'Brien's first Today FM show last week, they closed with a spoof song mocking that accent in a big way. Toto, this is my playing the drums, by the way, Simon Bridges. Oh, 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 oh. And the Tova show ended its first week on the air with another spoof song, this one about the outrageous rumours on social media targeting the Prime Minister and her partner. I want to see a photo (laughs) Showing his naked ankles would be a start You'd probably Photoshop that though I don't believe he's at home, tell me where is Clark? I heard he was in Colombia. Can somebody please tell me where is Clark? Those fishing and TV shows are just a cover. Now that song was mocking the paranoid people who are spreading those malicious rumours and not the Prime Minister and her partner. But the nervous laughter from Tover O'Brien and co at the end hinted at the feeling that this went a little close to the edge. Where is he, Jacinda? Right oh, well done. <laughs> He's addressed every single rumour that we've heard. And can I say it's all a parody, which means none of it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. Yay. And it also means you can't do us for defamation. Yay. Well, playing it for laughs is okay, but that was the only instance Media Watch is aware of where those social media slurs were actually aired by a mainstream news media outlet. In the end, though, it's no bad thing if our media are now thinking more deeply about their own role in amplifying politically inspired abuse that's now increasing in volume in both senses of the word. The PM in Indonesia, Sam Burgess, slap with an AVO. Wallaby's coach quits, but today's headlines were lost in a front-page protest 
by media companies fighting on a united front to be able to tell the news of the day. When the government hides the truth from us, what are they covering up? That's Australia's Channel 9 TV news back on the 19th of October 2019, a day when Australia's biggest newspapers all published news-free front pages as a protest against new national security laws, which they said would stifle their reporting. Now, last week, something similar happened when about 30 smaller Australian media outlets published no news at all for an entire day, though this was a protest targeting companies which have for years brought their news to huge new audiences. After complaining about Facebook and Google publishing news online and profiting from it, but contributing little to news journalism, or for that matter, to the Australian tax take, Australia's Commerce Commission, the ACCC, eventually found that the two titans of tech should pay Aussie news media for their news content on their services. Australia's government then forced the issue, cough up or we'll force you to by law, they said. And last year, Professor Andrea Carson from Melbourne's La Trobe University told MediaWatch they didn't like it, especially Facebook, now rebadged as Meta. Both Google and Facebook threatened to leave Australia, and in fact, Facebook acted on that promise and pulled its news sites from um, Australia for uh, um, about a week. Another sort of news blackout there, but not one that lasted for very long. Facebook and Google then began cutting confidential deals with the biggest news publishers across the Tasman, one by one, and some of these were worth tens of millions of dollars each. But Andrea Carson told MediaWatch at that time, small to medium-sized media, who don't have as much clout, missed out. The problem with the code, though, is this picking and choosing about who gets to do a deal with the big tech companies and who doesn't. Facebook's been a bit tougher in picking and choosing who they're doing deals with. And that was the reason for that news-free protest in Australia last week and their slogan, We are waiting on Zuckerberg. Now here, the government hasn't shown any willingness to confront Google or Facebook about their dominance of the New Zealand digital media marketplace. So last year, our media took things into their own hands. The News Publishers Association, representing commercial news publishers, asked the Commerce Commission for permission to collectively bargain with Google and Meta. Stuff, the New Zealand Herald publisher NZME, the Otago Daily Times publisher Allied Press and the online outlet The Spinoff all backed that bid. We want to do this together so the deal benefits all organisations equally, said the founder and publisher of The Spinoff, Duncan Grieve. And that would get around that problem of the platforms picking and choosing who they do deals with and the minnows missing out, which is what happened in Australia. State-owned RNZ and TVNZ later said that they wanted in as well, if such deals were being done, though the News Publishers Association wasn't keen on that. And the Ministry for Culture and Heritage also told the Commerce Commission they were backing the idea as well, because offshore deals like the ones done across the ditch, they said, proved that news content does have financial value to digital platforms. But, oh no it doesn't, Google told the Commerce Commission after that. News media businesses get more value from Google than Google gets from their news content, Google insisted, and it said that news-related searches made up less than 1.5% of Google searches in New Zealand in the year 2019. Now, Meta also told the Commerce Commission that they don't want to deal collectively with the news media here either, and in reply to that, the News Publishers Association said both of them were merely trying to prolong the status quo in which they benefit from their power. But deep in Google's submission to the Commerce Commission late last year was some interesting detail, 
not reported at the time. Google said it was already negotiating with New Zealand news media businesses about including their content in Google's News Showcase service. It had already reached agreement with two, said Google, and they were already getting paid. And Google also said more commercial offers were on the table with several other New Zealand news businesses. Now, fast forward to late last week, and NZME, the publisher of the New Zealand Herald, surprised the others in their collective effort to confront the tech titans with a move reported like this on NZME's own radio station, News Talk ZB. Media company NZME stunned its rivals today by announcing it is close to signing a deal with Google to pay for its content. Today, NZME announced they're no longer interested in a group deal, and they're close to cutting that deal with Google and Meta on its own. So without telling the others, NZME informed the New Zealand Stock Exchange it had already agreed to supply Google's news showcase and the market could expect a $5 million boost in NZME profits next year. So much then for the collective media position. Now it's a case, it seems, of NZME, me, me. Last week, Dr Maria Mililati from the Auckland University of Technology, who's an expert in New Zealand media relationships with the big tech platforms, told Andrew Dickens this. Withdrawing from that, so maybe that was a little bit sneaky move. <laughs> Are you calling it sneaky? Uh, I understand the competition called it snaky. Uh, you may not have been surprised, <laughs> but uh, everybody else uh, was. I wasn't surprised that they've been negotiating with Google, but pulling out of this was maybe uh, perhaps a surprise. Even the Press Gazette in the UK noted that an unnamed rival of NZME had called their breakaway snaky. This looks like it gives NZME $5 million to go shopping for our journalists before we can agree a deal, that source told the Gazette. But is $5 million actually a lot? Well, not for Google, as News Talk ZB's Andrew Dickens said on air last week. $5 million chicken feed for Google. wonder if Boggsy should have gone harder. But on 9 to noon last Tuesday on RNZ National, former newspaper editor Andrew Holden told Catherine Ryan that the law of money in the bank now, rather than an unknown sum sometime later, maybe, would have been the incentive for NZME to go it alone in secret. My reading of it is that they want the cash sooner rather than later. That It might take quite some months for the Commerce Commission to come back and give approval for it. Uh, it may even fail. Uh, and then everybody's got to get around the table and get the digital giants into the room and start negotiating. Whereas here, they're, they're able to go to the market and say, here's the amount of money we're going to lift uh, our profit. Uh, we're going to report it much better and therefore our share price is going to increase. So it's the dollars will drive so much of their behaviour and, and clearly they want that money in their accounts pretty soon. Well, this week we asked for an interview with NZME's Chief Executive Michael Boggs about all of this, but NZME's Corporate Communications Manager told MediaWatch that would not be appropriate because confidential commercial negotiations are still ongoing. But the thing is, it's not just NZME's business. Their move also pulls the rug out from under that collective effort for an agreement with Google and Meta. And coincidentally, the current chair of the News Publishers Association is none other than NZME's chief executive, Michael Boggs. So, would he talk to us on that basis? No, sorry, we were told, that would be a conflict, according to NZME. And it certainly conflicted other media companies with mutual interests when it comes to Meta and Google in New Zealand. 
The News Publishers Association says it's still pursuing authorisation from the Commerce Commission because it says there are significant public benefits for local news media and fair and reasonable remuneration. But aren't they more likely now to follow NZME's lead and do their own deals, meaning that what's happened in Australia will probably happen here now as well? That's a question for the News Publishers Association, and we'll be following the progress of this situation here on Media Watch. Last weekend here on Media Watch, we looked at the first week on the air for the new talk radio station, Today FM. That's replaced the unsuccessful talk station Magic Talk, some of whose hosts created a huge headache for the owner MediaWorks with controversial outbursts last year. Now, one of those, Peter Williams, repeatedly aired COVID vaccine scepticism and misinformation on his show, and he even backed an anti-vaccine group at one point who were doing the same before his sudden retirement last year. And as we heard last week on the programme, Today FM wants its listeners to know now it'll be different with messages like this. There are certain inalienable truths. Sometimes the two sides to a story are a right side and a wrong side. When you hear the news, you know it's been verified by multiple sources from the Today FM news team. It's not spin or PR. Number three, our hosts are not made to take any particular view. The opinions you hear are their own, not management's or any politicians. Their own. Number four, when we make mistakes, we'll admit it. Number five, we're not blue, we're not red. We're not yellow or green for that matter. We monitor the balance we give stories so you get a full range of perspectives. And before Today FM went on the air, the station's boss Dallas Gurney published a thoughtful and passionate pledge to lovers of talkback radio. He said they weren't interested in what he called the old tricks of exploiting people's anger on controversial issues just to pull them in. And that's something they do a lot of where he used to work at News Talk ZB. We want to support the best ideas, Dallas Gurney said, in the run-up to the Today FM launch. And we also want to be the innovators of this format. And as we heard here last weekend on Media Watch, they are doing some of that. The Breakfast Show, hosted by former News Hub political editor Tova O'Brien, for example, is an alternative to other shows on the air. There are also new and distinct voices off-peak, and Today FM has produced a clutch of interesting and well-made podcasts as well. But there are still echoes of what they were trying to leave behind in the many hours of daily talkback, hosted by some familiar radio names from the past. And as we heard last week, host Duncan Garner didn't seem to get the memo about not exploiting anger. It's beyond a joke, you're saying. It's all misinformation. People are angry. I can sense your anger. I can sense you feel like you've been played. Well, that was about vaccine mandates, if you were wondering. Now, you can't stop angry and misinformed folk from calling in to talk back, but Duncan Garner actually encouraged them to. Last week, after calling the government's COVID response possibly a hoax, he amplified another caller's misinformation about boosters. I know a lot of people that have had issues with their hearts through having those injections, and I heard that the next injection, the booster, is actually stronger than the last two. Who knows? I mean, this is and this is the thing. This is the problem with this is that you get all sorts of views and and people saying this and that. And what is the truth? And Duncan Garner also said, "Good call to anti-vaxxer David." So I think the government's fear mongering in regards to all of this is way way overboard. I think they need to stop stop it all and get back to just the normal routine really. It's so political isn't it David appreciate your thoughts really well put together and I do hope you call us uh, again
and David did call again. He was Duncan Garner's first caller of the week last Monday on the topic of pay rises. I hit my boss up uh, three weeks ago in regards to a pay rise. He told me that I need to get the jab to get a pay rise. Oh, you haven't had the jab? No, no, but does that sound right to you that I have to get a jab to get a pay rise? Doesn't sound right to me, no, no. But it turned out it wasn't really his pay that David wanted to vent about on the air. But also, NewsHub's just put out a release on Facebook stating that the Ministry of Health are looking into the Pfizer jab because of the heart conditions. Now, why would I want to go out and get a jab that causes heart issues? So is Today FM really committed to news that moves us forward, as the station's slogan says, and in the boss's own words, finding the answers and not just bollocking those who are likely to blame? Hayden Donnell talks to Dallas Gurney about that and how he went about creating not just a new radio network, but a new news operation as well. I think we've done pretty well. I mean, it's a challenge because sort of you're kind of trying to acclimatise hosts and producers to kind of a different style of, of doing things. Tova um, is doing a great job for us at breakfast already. We've had a great commercial reaction to the station. Um, the audience feedback, um, 95% of the feedback you normally get when you run a radio station is normally uh, the stuff you're doing wrong. But we've had, uh, it's been the other way around. We've had just been inundated with positive messages. Um, I'm, I'm proud that we are, you know, doing something different and we're giving mainstream platforms to people like Dave Latelli and uh, Rebecca Hollis and... If nothing else, Hayden, you know, I'm thrilled that we are hopefully making the talk radio category interesting. We've had, well, Media Watch has had some criticisms of today and mainly around stuff that Duncan Garner has said the COVID strategy was possibly a hoax. For instance, in a talk with a caller that he's thinking of not getting his vaccine booster. I think he's had the same anti-vax caller twice and sort of told that guy that he's making sense and encouraged him to keep calling. So... How does that marry up with the commitment to create this more edifying place where it's not just about getting people riled up? I mean, I think you're right. I think we need to be careful around um, the signals we send around certain topics. Certainly, you know, vaccination and, and COVID is one of them. But, you know, my challenge to the hosts has also been to be patient with people because it would be better if we listened to different perspectives without getting out pitchforks at dawn. You know, and there are, of, of course, staunch anti-vaxxers and there are staunch pro-vaxxers. You know, these are people on the extreme and everyone has a view on the government's response to COVID. You know, the people who perhaps choose not to have a vaccination, um, they're not less of a New Zealander as a result of that. They're not necessarily a nutcase. So I guess my approach has been, you know, let's, let's try and listen to try and kind of understand these different perspectives and, and to try and dial down you know, the rhetoric, which I think is unhelpful. I guess with something like vaccines, though, there is kind of a right and wrong, whereas there is a side of the argument that has scientific backing and there is a side that really doesn't. Is there a case for some kind of at least editorial guidance when you're discussing a topic like vaccines about lines that you won't cross and stances that you will take as a station? Of course, yep. One thing we do at Today FM, which perhaps hasn't been done as much in the past at MediaWorks talk stations, is we have a lot of editorial meetings. There's a heartbeat to the station throughout the day. Uh, We meet at the same time every day to talk about what they're wanting to do, the particular stance that they're wanting to take on things. And I guess it's my opportunity to try and um, head stuff off, off at the pass if there's something that doesn't quite resonate with where we're taking the station. But I would say that it's, you know, very easy for you to take a 30-second, or anybody, to take a 30-second clip of the radio from a 
24-7 talk station uh, and make it sound bigger than it actually is. If Media Watch ran 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I think there'll be some hairy moments in there, Hayden. Um, especially, I mean, when you talk about talk radio, you know, you don't really know who your next guest is going to be. You know, that's what it's like running a talk station. Sometimes you get it wrong, but I mean, you know, on COVID, for example, you know, last week we had Michael Baker on for, you know, the good part of 20 minutes answering listeners' questions about Omicron. When you look at the entirety of the station, I think it's, it's got some real balance. Is it possible to have a centrist talkback station? You know, there's a reason that John Key called his base the silent majority, right? They're kind of the type to not really call up and be loud about their opinions. Can, are the incentives just too strong? For getting people riled up, as you say, you're you're entirely right. You're you know it's it's all well and good to start with. Um, this is what we want to be. You know um, these are the values that we want to have. These are the ideals that we want to reflect on the air. We've got to do it every day. And I guess living it would mean actually really spelling out these editorial principles to. I, I mean, people like Duncan Garner or Mark Richardson or Tover O'Brien. You know, for instance, Tova has written quite powerfully about how distasteful it is for politicians to use race as a wedge issue. It's shameful, it's ugly, it's not us, and perhaps the argument that might better resonate with poll-obsessed politicians, it just doesn't work anymore. Is it also distasteful for, for instance, Today FM to use race as a wedge issue? Should you be putting editorial guidance in around that issue as well, that you won't use it as a wedge issue? Every, every staff member who joins Today FM gets the Today FM induction handbook, which is 71 pages, uh, believe it or not, of exactly that. Not just how we operate, but, you know, what we believe and what our point of difference is in the market. So the challenge is living it every day, and that's much harder. I wonder whether there's another challenge for you, which is that you're trying to take on Newstalk ZB and establish names and all this kind of stuff. And for that, you need, I guess in your eyes, established stars, right? But some of those stars are kind of the people that have thrived in the old way of doing things and they're sort of entrenched in their ways a little bit. Is I, I, I would disagree. I would disagree with that. I mean, I think when you look at some of the new talent that we've brought to the category, it's quite exceptional. I guess there's a mix though, isn't there? There's a mix of newer talent, the Mark Dyers of the world and even the Tover O'Briens of the world, but then some of the older known names from radio past, you know, Duncan Garner and Polly Gillespie and all these sorts of Let's take Duncan by way of an example. So Duncan um, has had a stint on Radio Live Drive. He's done, you know, the AM show, which was a TV and, and radio simulcast. But really, you know, when you look at it, was pretty much a TV show broadcast on the radio. He's never done... Uh, this kind of long-form talk audience integration type program before. And, and he's approached it with gusto and energy. I think you're hearing a different, a new Duncan Garner. I mean, I'm glad, you know, immensely proud of the fact he's on our team. Polly, same scenario. I mean, Polly, I think is, you know, she's come from Breakfast Music Radio. Some of the, the biggest talents internationally in talk radio have, have been born out of music radio. The same here. I mean, um, Paul Holmes, by way of example, came from, came from music radio. Um, I think it's exciting that um, that people who we are used to in one sort of style of broadcasting are being used in different ways at Today FM. There's a lot of positives, as you, as you say, with Today FM. But I, I guess if I if I told you a week before launch that some guy from Media Watch on RNZ would be kind of grilling you about one of your hosts spouting seemingly anti-vax talking points and broadcasting them on the radio, would you be sort of saying, "Oh"? 
that's not really what I want to broadcast? Is that something that we should iron out? It's inherent in the role of running a talk station that there, there are these traps that you fall into from time to time. I don't think it's as anywhere near as big a deal as you've um, painted it out to be. It's very easy to kind of pick a couple of clips here and there and, and use them as examples of something that's, that's deeper when it's not true. We're talking a lot about the star names and the hosts and all that sort of stuff, but actually a big part of Today FM as well is that you're building this newsroom. How is that going? How many journalists and producers have you got so far? Uh, so our, the Today FM team in its entirety is about 50 people. So in, in, within the news team, there's about 20. So it's you know quite far away from the likes of News Hub with 230 people. Um, but you know our programs very much um, support the driving of our news agenda. So um, we think we can punch about our weight. We've got journalists and obviously our news based in Auckland, in Wellington, Christchurch, and Hamilton. Uh, and then we lean on MediaWorks is in 23 markets around New Zealand, and we've got eyes and ears into every market through um, through their local radio personalities. Um, so, yep, it's a small team, um, fledgling, I think you would say, but, um, but, you know, we think we're breaking some good stuff already. For instance, if there's a big story in the South Island or something, uh, you know, do you have reporters or studios that you can access in Christchurch? How would you cover big news in, for instance, Oamaru? Yeah, I mean, we do. We do. We've got, um, we've got, um, two reporters in, in Christchurch, um, but we also have MediaWorks studios in you know, any number of markets. I don't think we have one in Omaru, but we certainly do in Timaru and Dunedin, Queenstown, right, right around the South Island. So, you know, we've got people that can get to a news event quickly and tell us what's happening on the ground. Uh, and then we've got the option of, of bringing in, you know, additional resources from other markets if needed. Uh, now, the station was delayed uh, for quite a while because of this co quite intense public battle between Tova O'Brien and her former employer Discovery, where Discovery enforced this restraint of trade. I'm just wondering, is there is there lingering bitterness there from you guys towards Discovery? You know, a bit of a cold war, especially as you, as the companies will be competing for talent? I don't know that uh, it, now is the time to be talking about things like cold war Hayden, uh, <laughs> with what's happening around the globe. But I think, um, no, not certainly not from our perspective. I mean, my wife is the head of sales at Discovery. So, um, you know, <laughs> uh, not that we talk about anything uh, to do with, our, with our, our work, you know, at home, but we would be very happy to continue to work with Discovery. I mean, we've got great relationships uh, that continue to, we continue to talk to people at Discovery and use them on air if we can. We don't see them as competitors. We would definitely work with them and other partners in, in the future. I mean, it must sting, though. I mean, Tova has spoken about how gutted she was, and I think Duncan Garner began his first show kind of talking about his departure from uh, News Hub owned by Discovery. I, there's, there's, there's a little bit of kind of bitterness there, at least from the stars, if not from you. Well, I think, you know, what you're talking about there is a personal um reflection of the experience that they've had and um i can't talk to that um that's the way that they feel um but from a media works perspective you know we'd be very happy to to work with discovery on and and, and will do on um any number of future projects i'm also curious about another competitor so one of your opening gambits is the is the slogan that you've used on a lot of billboards and stuff a more balanced mic mic but obviously referencing m-i-k-e uh, was that a 
difficult decision, a kind of brave decision to reference News Talk ZB and its biggest star directly like that? Uh, I, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, there's no, you can't miss them. I think um, if we're wanting to disrupt the category, which we are, you know, I think it was a, it was a clever line. You know, having, having a bit of, bit of fun and being a bit cheeky, I mean, that's part of the role of a disruptor brand, right? They are an, an absolute machine at the moment. So um, we've got nothing to lose. You also have another competitor, a much uh, less dominant and established competitor coming along. So the platform by Sean Bunkett, and he's launching that sort of new talk brand, I think on May 2 was his latest signal. How much of a threat do you see that as? Look, I think Sean will do his thing and, and we'll do ours and ZB will do theirs and RNZ will do yours. I, I think we should be encouraging of different players coming into the market. And, you know, it's a, it's a great example of a thriving radio industry. Uh, that it's, been, it's been languishing, you know, for a long time and hasn't been particularly interesting at all. And then all of a sudden you've got new players that are going, let's give this a shot. And I think that's great. I mean, I, I know Sean, I respect Sean. Um, his, his station's going to be very different to ours. Uh, and I wish him well. Is there a long-term future in the medium? Is it going to be overtaken by technological changes? It's a big investment for something that some people see as maybe sort of going the way of the dinosaur. Well, I think, I think there's a couple of things. First is that talk radio has a massively long tail. I mean, I think arguably um, the stations that will be impacted first by technological technological change are music stations. Talk radio, though, I mean, it's still about personalities and and um, and hosts, and people will have their favourites and they'll tune into them to hear what they think about the issues, and it will still be there, I think, for a long time. But your point is 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 right. I mean. We're, we're radio broadcasters and, you know, we need to be good at audio storytelling regardless of the device. So, um, you know, one thing that we've really tried to do, um, and to be honest, I've looked at Radio New Zealand and gone, your, your, your podcast offering is, is best in market. Uh, we want to be the same. We want to be leaders in podcasting and, and digital storytelling. We've invested in a decent podcast team to really start um, building, uh, you know, our capability. Uh, because the fact is, more people are listening to audio than ever before. You know, podcasting's done that. Uh, we need and to be able to maximise it. I mean, Wilhelmina Shrimpton, for instance, is doing a, a good podcast. Yeah, the core, the core is, um, Wilhelmina does a podcast every week called The Core, which we also broadcast on the air, actually. Um, and that's, uh, you know, a more investigative journalism piece, uh, delving into, you know, an issue every, every, every week. Um, she's got a few backed up now because we had a few, few, uh, few extra weeks with, uh, with Tova's ERA case. Um, we, had, we, we got some extra time up our sleeves, so she's got a few, um, a few in the can ready to go over the next few weeks. The success of Today FM will come not from what we've done in the first week, although I think it's we've, we've made a great start for the first two weeks, but it's about doing the same thing every day. Uh, radio has, is habitual, and that has got to be our focus. We just keep going. We keep doing the same thing. But personally, what I'd like to um, you know see happen uh, is for, I guess, the essence of the station to spill out into other, other areas. You know, I'd like to see um, some of the 
conversations that we're having on today, if you might like to create change, you know, as a result of it. I want us to use, you know, different people, people that wouldn't usually have talk radio as a platform. I want to see what they can do from an audience perspective. I want people to wonder, you know, what we're going to do next. Uh, we can take a few risks. That's what a disruptive brand can do. I want to make sure that we make the most of that opportunity. Hey, thanks very much for joining me, Dallas. Thanks, Hayden. Cheers, mate. That was Dallas Gurney, the Director of News and Talk Radio at MediaWorks, and he's also the architect of the new station Today FM, which launched last week. And there he was talking to MediaWatch's Hayden Donnell. Well, that's all we have for you in MediaWatch this weekend, but we'll be back with more on the media at about 10.30 next Wednesday night with Midweek MediaWatch, talking to Karen Hay on The Lately Show, and then back with more MediaWatch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.